Hello, everyone. It's uh, Casey here. I just want to welcome you to this special podcast episode that is part of celebrating the British Society of Sports History's 40th anniversary. So throughout this series, we're going to be talking to a variety of our members, from those who've been there since the beginning, those that have played important roles in the society, and those who've led changes. And today we're joined by Dr. Carol Osborne and Dr. Fiona Skillen. Carol is an independent researcher um, and a part-time researcher developer working at the University of Huddersfield. And Fiona is a senior lecturer uh, in history at Glasgow Caledonian University. Uh, thank you both for joining us for this, um, this special podcast episode. Thanks for having us. So I think let's start nice and nice and easy, I suppose, and just finding out kind of how how you both got into sports history in, in the first place. What what kind of led you down that path? Should we start with Fiona? Yeah, sure. So um, my uh, family were all quite sporty. Um, so growing up, most of my family played golf. And so I learned from a very young age um, to play golf. But I was kind of acutely aware um, of the kind of sexism around around golf um, that there were certain bits of the clubhouse for example that I couldn't go into even in like the main lounge in the golf uh, golf club um, there was a line painted on the floor and if you were a woman you couldn't go over that line because that was into the men's lounge the men's territory and that used to really annoy me um, and so when I came to do my master's dissertation I was thinking um, initially I wanted to do something about interwar women's film because I'm totally my other kind of hobby is I'm totally obsessed with Betty Davis and um, people like that and so I thought that's what I'm going to do and when I went to my supervisor she's like no that's been done to death you need to do something different and so the next thing I thought of was well what other hobbies do I have golf Um, and started to think about the sexism and misogyny that I had been aware of as a golfer as a young woman golfer and what must that have been like for for women back in in the early days of the sport um, and so that was kind of how I got into looking at the history of golf and then it kind of developed from there. Um, and then I got some PhD funding, which allowed me to then go on and, and take it much further. Yeah, fab. And Carol, what brought you into sports history? Uh, well, well, quite a bit different, actually, because um, I, w- I was never a player of sport and I'm still not a player of sport although I was I was brought up around a lot of television sport actually so so I kind of grew up um sort of probably knowing quite a lot about the kinds of 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 sport that was on television you know anything from sort of like you know Wimbledon every year horse racing you know that foot lots of football in my household so kind of I had that that kind of immersion into sport but not really you know but didn't really uh, come to it in in the sense that Fiona did but but and my real um brush with sports history really came when I was an undergraduate back in the dark days of the I think it must have been the early 1990s and I did a history of education module with um well-known education historian actually uh, Gary McCulloch and I chose to do my essay on sport in the public schools as an undergraduate essay and really enjoyed doing that and that kind of stuff stuck with me a bit as I moved into a master's in modern social history um but where I was really more focused on women's history uh to be honest but at that at that same time I was um my partner was a was a climber and I'd been out and had a little go at, at climbing and observed it as a very 
male dominated kind of outdoor activity. And so I decided to do my master's dissertation on the history of British climbing. And that, that ended up carrying over into my doctoral research, where I looked more, more in a more focused way on gender relations, actually. It wasn't mm. just about women. I looked at gender relations in the development of the history of climbing. And that's really how I got into it. And of course, as part of that PhD, I had to grapple with the sport literature to try and, and, and try to make a decision in that yeah. in that thesis about whether or not climbing was a sport. Could it yeah. could it qualify as a sport? And and that's really how I got into it. And and then of course work took me down the path of working in effectively sports studies. So so that was it really. So it was really fate in a way, I think, that took me into sports history. Yeah, I mean, mine's a bit like yours in that it was education. So it was my A-level studies and GCSE doing a bit of the history of sport. And then obviously as a teacher, that's the area I specialised in when I was teaching in sixth form. So it kind of led on from there. I mean, because obviously then it's a case of, you know, how do you find the BSSH? You know, what kind of, how did you find the society? Because from my point of view, I, despite having taught um kind of sports history for years as part of a uh, the a-level specification for BTEC. i had no idea about bssh until i did my masters and someone um said oh there's this great group you should join so i was just wondering how you both ended up finding out about the bssh and what what brought you to it i think i um i'm trying to remember it's such a long time ago i think it was my <laughs> supervisor that might have told me about it um, because I was in a department, it was the Department of Social and Economic History. So both my supervisors were gender historians. There was nobody in the department that did anything about sport. Um, and so they were kind of aware that that was something that was kind of lacking in terms of my support network. And so they yeah. sort of said, you should try and find conferences where there are like-minded individuals um, that you, you can go in and mix with and talk about your work. Um, and so I think they had suggested it, actually. And the first one I went to was in, was in Wales. Um, and I think that must have been the first year of my PhD, so 2004, 2005, um, was the first one that, that I went to. And it was great. It was a bit like a homecoming because you were having, you were telling people what you were researching and you didn't have to explain it. People just yeah. got it, why it was important, what you were doing, etc. Whereas before my experience had always been having to kind of justify what I was doing, try to explain why it was significant and so on. Um, so finally, I was kind of, you know, in a room with people who just got it. And that was brilliant. Yeah, I can imagine. Cara, how about yourself? How did you find BSSH? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I, I can't remember. I can't remember how <laughs> I, but I stumbled across it. I don't think anybody told me about it I'm a bit, um, at all, actually, because by that time I'd become, I was still in my doctoral research, but I'd become a bit detached from the department because I'd moved away from Lancaster where I was doing my research. But I do I do know that what brought me to it was was a was a conference in Leicester, where it was an opportunity to present a paper on the research that I've been doing, and and I'm never quite sure whether it was the 2002 Leicester conference or the 2004 Leicester conference. I think it might have been the 2004, and that conference you went to the year after Fiona would have been at Ponty. It would have been at Pontypridd. That was the tooth where the 2005 conference was. And I should say, I can still vividly, I can remember the title of the paper that I gave. So it was my first paper at BSSH um, conference. And like Fiona, Fiona, I think you won the, 
Richard Cox Postgraduate Prize, didn't you, when you went to the conference? You did, didn't you? I, not that time. The second time I went, yeah. Ah, right. Yeah. Okay, because because I must admit, I I kind of went to that conference. Um, sort of gave the paper, and I don't know. I I don't I don't know whether it was a fine a fine art by that time, but anyway, somehow I managed to win the postgraduate prize for that paper, and. Um, I'm just aware that I don't know if Fiona knew that actually, but I'm aware that Fiona, I knew that Fiona had one as well. Oh. Yeah. So that was a nice, so it was a nice way, actually. It was a nice way to be introduced to the society because obviously I sort of was at the conference and then was incredibly shocked when I was contacted about a month or so later to say that I'd, I'd won the prize. So I was yeah. happy about that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's fab. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that, I was doing an MA in sports history and, you know, my, um, so everyone could point me in the direction of BSSH. So I found that, you know, relatively, uh, relatively early on. Um, but what, I mean, what was, I mean, sports history obviously has a reputation of being male dominated and everything else. What was the society like when you joined um, in those years for you both? It sounds like it's roughly about the same sort of time. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was very, male orientated that first conference I went to I remember being very aware of it but then having said that I came from a department that was also very um you know male heavy um and a university that was also very male dominated so that wasn't really that surprising um but I think I mean I think there were literally six of us I think Carol I can't remember if you were were you at that that conference that first one in Wales Ponte yeah yeah and Mel was there as well yeah and I can't remember who else. There was a couple of other people as well, but there weren't many of us. It was it was mainly men. But everybody, with the exception of only one person, <laughs> was exceptionally welcoming and and very interested in what I was doing and making sure that I was included in things. And that was what was lovely because I'd been at other conferences before, where it was very evident that people had little cliques that they all kind of you know socialised in. And if you were new, you kind of were on the peripheries of that. And I didn't feel that at all when I when I first went to BSSH. I, I still don't. I think it's a very welcoming environment and people kind of go out of their way to make sure that new people are, are included and introduced to people. And, and even people that I was kind of in awe of that I had read their work, you know, like, for example, Dick Holt. You know, I kind of had him on a pedestal. I was like, wonderful. And he still is, um, I should say. But, I mean, he was just lovely. He was so down to earth and so friendly. And and, and that kind of goes for for, for everyone, really. reflections yeah I mean I only really got a strong sense of what it was like I think when I sort of became a bit more involved with it um because you know when I went to that first conference I I've got a feeling I might have chatted to Joyce Kay at that Leicester conference and no there weren't there weren't many women there and the and the only other person that I really chatted to at that conference was Dave Russell um, who was sitting behind me and we just sort of exchanged pleasantries kind of thing. And apart from that, I didn't really talk to anybody. So yeah, the strongest sense that I got of the society was really when I was um, asked by Martin Johns to help organise the conference at Lancaster in 2006, that would have been. And that's when I really began to get a stronger sense of the society as one that perhaps... but yeah had lots and lots of men in it but it's really strange because I can't reflect back on that time and say that I I felt that it of course it was problematic but 
Yeah. It wasn't an uncomfortable feeling for me. It was a very, and perhaps that's the problem, actually, when you think about it. If something seemed very congenial, it can kind of help to sort of uh, mask sometimes the things that are wrong with it. Yeah. And I think, and I think coming into it at that time, I just think I was happy. I was happy to be involved and I was happy to get a chance to be, to become part of something that, that I felt could, could make a difference and would be good for other people to be involved in as well. And that's yeah. where I was coming from with it, if I'm honest. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Cause when I first, the first conference I went to is much later was at the one at Swansea and I think there are only two there are only two women two female speakers the entire weekend it was myself and Raf and we were on the same panel <laughs> and that was it but um and I was I would noticed it but I was having such a good time meeting people and uh finding this group of like-minded individuals who um you know who like sports history as much as I did so I'd always thought I was a bit weird <laughs> before I met other people so yeah it's just yeah, I just remember it just feeling really good. But I mean, coming on to the kind of getting involved a little bit more. So obviously Martin Johns invited you to help out with the conference in Lancaster. Did that lead to being involved in the committee? How did your kind of involvement on that side of things? Yeah, spot on. That's spot on, Katie. That was it. You know, I, I kind of, um, I, I obviously didn't mess up too badly at the Lancaster conference <laughs> because they co-opted me onto the committee. Um and, and then very rapidly in the grand tradition of BSSH, I became the secretary, yep. which, which again, I mean, that was like, that was amazing. I always say, you know, if you want to be in a position on an executive committee, you need to be the secretary because boy, do you get to know the business Yeah, because you've got to listen to what's being said all of the time. And of course you reproduce that in the minutes. And so you're, your overview of what's going on with the people and the business so that's how but and that's how I got onto the committee was was that way yeah I think that's that's a good point because some people kind of want to get more involved and maybe make it as a big selling point for anyone who wants to be a future secretary not that I'm trying to get rid of um Jeff at the moment but you know uh it, you're right it's, it's it's a good role to have a good good overview um and Fiona, you've been involved in the committee. How did that kind of start for you? Yeah, that's that, very similar. Martin Johns has got a lot to answer for. <laughs> um, I um, I've made the mistake of chatting to him at one of the drinks receptions after, I think it was um, after a plenary at the conference when we had it in Stirling, which was, I think, 2006, 2007. Um, and I made the point of sort of saying to him, you need to have postgraduate voices like they're not being heard and and stupidly um he said oh well you could be that person and so the next thing I knew I had been co-opted onto the committee as well much like Carol uh, and then pretty much stayed on the committee till 2020 so yeah. <laughs> like Carol we were in it for the long haul and had various roles along, along the way um, but you know as Carol said it's it's a really good experience um to be on the committee to be on the executive um, because you do, you get to know people working in, in all sorts of different areas across lots of different universities. And um, for me, it was kind of what kept me going between doing the PhD and looking for a permanent job. It was really, really important, those kind of regular meetings, because at that point we still met physically. So I would come down from, from Glasgow to London. Um, and it was great hearing about what people were working on. It was great hearing about potential opportunities that were coming up. And um, I always came away from the meetings feeling really excited about my own research, regardless of kind of how precarious I was in terms of employment or whatever. 
it just gave me that kind of D up to kind of you know keep going with it all and so it was from a personal point of view it was really important to me to be part of the executive and and I got a lot from that experience. Yeah I mean I'm kind of similar I suppose I started on the um, the board before I finished my PhD and then in between finishing that and starting my current role it was it was just a, a nice connection to kind of academia and people and you know chatting about research and connecting with people even though obviously a lot of it has been virtually but it was still that kind of nice connection to to that side of things while I was kind of in between bits and pieces but obviously I mean one of the big roles that you've both had has been as chair of the society and Carol I believe you were the first female chair I mean, yeah. how, how did that come about? Was it something you pushed for? Was it just a natural progression through the board or, or what? And did you enjoy it? Oh, Katie, you don't know me very well. It's not something I pushed for. I was I was heavily persuaded. In fact, I my arm pulled up my back, I think, to um, to sort of, But well, to be honest with you, I, I, I tell you, though, you know, um, humour aside, the um, Malcolm McLean had extended his time in the chair he'd been uh, three years and then he extended for another year um because effectively you know that the the um the offer to take the role had been thrown open I think to the membership but there there were no takers and this isn't on you you know having looked now looking now a bit at the history of the society of course what, what you've got in the exec is a bit of a critical mass really and are people who are obviously very committed to the life of the society as well as the the discipline as well because of the two things obviously connect and um there was no one there was no one stepping up for it um and there were a few of us sort of all trying to encourage each other to do it that that's how it happened and then yeah. ultimately you know I, I got nominated I got seconded and and the vote went I think that would, would have been at, um London Met that was at the conference at London Met I think 2011 would that have been and you know the show of hands said that they accepted me as chair and that's how it happened so there's yeah. no you know there was no sort of like oh we great you know um push forward for woman chair as such it was a set of circumstances if I'm absolutely honest and did but, you did you enjoy it oh yeah I mean no it, it was re- it was seriously one of the best and most rewarding things I've done in in my in what was my academic life um yeah absolutely super opportunity yeah brilliant um, Fiona, you've obviously chaired the society as well. How how did that come about, and did you did you enjoy it? What did you get from the role? Yeah, so um, similar to Carol, so I was Carol's vice, and we had sort of made a pact, hadn't we, Carol, <laughs> that if you were chair, that I would be your vice. So we had a kind of team going there, um, and so I kind of progressed on to chair when, when Carol stepped down after her three year term, um, and I loved it. I actually only did two years because I fell pregnant in the middle of my my chairship um so it was really only the the two years and and Dave Day who was my vice chair stepped up and did did the extra sort of year 10 months or so that I was away so um but yes I absolutely loved it a bit like Carol it was it was rewarding it was really fulfilling um you know got to go and meet lots of of new people and, and be involved in lots of different things um and again it's that thing of just feeling like you're giving back 
you know, to the society yeah. that, as I, you know, as I've mentioned before, I felt like it has given me so much. So I was very happy to kind of take that role on and take on that responsibility for for a few years. Um, and yeah, I would definitely encourage other people to to do it because it is good, good fun, and you learn a lot. Yeah, and I think that kind of answers the next question, which was going to be, you know, would you recommend to others that they serve on the committee? I think <laughs> the clear consensus is that it's it's a part of giving back, and that you get great experience and you get to meet people um I, I thought I knew various people quite well until I actually started working you know as part of the board and then you get to know a huge range of people that you know I wouldn't necessarily have, have met before especially in the postgrad role you know, trying to encourage our postgrad members it's um I get to meet an awful lot of those mm. of those folk, which is which is fantastic. So, mm. um, you, you know, I think one of the things it does, kind of like from my point of view as well, um, is it for me it short short circuited networking, which I really yeah. I'm I'm not great at that. I don't love doing that. And in a and in a way, if you if you're an executive in in the discipline that you're you know working in you do find that more often than not people actually want to come and talk to you a little bit more and so I know it sounds a bit lazy but you know I suppose underneath it you know people might be surprised but there's a bit of a reserve and a bit of a shyness about going just going up to people and starting talking I'm all right once I get to know people but it's that kind of like yeah it it gives it does it gives you by default a bit of a profile actually yeah, I know what you mean. I'm one of those. I'm not very good at networking. I hate having to go up to people and just introduce myself. That's like my worst nightmare. And I've got as good friends of mine now at Nash who, um, when I first tried to speak to him, kind of brushed me off slightly. And now I rib him mercilessly for it. Um, but you're right. When you're on the committee, on on the board, people come and speak to you and it makes it does make those things much easier much much easier if you, if you don't like those sorts of bits which I really don't um it's I was going to say it's also it was a good opportunity to try things as well so for example I was thinking about Dion Georgiou um he had this great brainwave while we were on the exec about setting up regional networks and kind of ran with that so again it's that thing of if there's something that you're really interested in or you think might work or you want to try again it's a really good opportunity if you're on the exec to kind of get your ideas put forward yeah. and considered if not necessarily put in put in place and there were various kind of initiatives over the years um when we were involved carol that that we tried or we discussed and you know and it's interesting to see that these things coming around time and again i'm thinking like the heritage stuff as well i mean that, yeah. that those conversations back in, i think oh, 2013 or something maybe even earlier um and so it's, I think the executive is also a good opportunity there to kind of, you know, take these seeds of ideas and turn them into something bigger that perhaps you couldn't do on your own, but you can do collectively. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, the board is always open to ideas. Mm. Um, and it's while any member could come up with something, um, it is obviously actually easier if you're kind of on the board and, and able to be involved in the the meetings that we have throughout the year um and yeah i mean that's going to help the society to kind of progress by bringing in new ideas which kind of i guess brings me to the point that how do you think the society has changed over the years that that you've been involved has it changed <laughs> who wants to take that one first well you know i think it's fair to say well from the point of view of being a woman, you know, if you're thinking about diversity in that sense, it's become a bit more diverse. 
uh, you know, you, you're seeing many more women now at the at the conferences and, you know, involved in writing sports history. Um, you know, but I would say that probably, yeah, probably for me, that would be the, that would be the biggest noticeable change in it, you know, but, but I'd also say, you know, how the society has changed, but I'd also sort of say um, how the society has kind of stayed the same as well. In, you know, so for example, with that, that kind of like um, always running the conference, the journal, all of those things that kind of are, are its anchors and its mainstay are still there. And I think you talk about change and change is important. Diversifying the membership is important. You know, there's more work to do there, clearly, uh, in relation to some communities. But I think the things that have stayed the same are just as important as the things that we might say have changed as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with what, what you said, Carol. I think the other thing for me that's been interesting to see how it's changed is embracing digital as well. I think that's something that the society has kind of really done, particularly in the last few years, in terms of the podcast, in terms of the website, you know, all of those things are just, just brilliant. And I think we do them very well compared with some other societies. Um, I think also the kind of move away from being so London centric. I think that was always a bit of a bugbear for me having to always come from, come from Scotland for meetings for the executive all the way to London. Um, and then laterally we started moving the executive meetings around the country. Everyone was having a turn of commuting. Um, and now obviously embracing digital means it's, it's even more flexible and more inclusive. Um, and I think things like, you know, having the podcast series. So if you can't make it to London to see somebody giving their paper at the IHR, you can still catch up with it. Um, I think that's so important because we are often in sort of little, you know, sort of silos, I guess, you know, we're quite often in odd departments. I mean, I'm in a department of social science, not necessarily an obvious place where you'd think to find a sports historian. And there are others of us in English Lit and, you know, various places. So again, it's that thing that you're often, you are the only sports historian working in your university perhaps even in your region and so it's nice to have that ability to kind of connect with people from all over um, the country and not just at the annual conference so I think that's been a really significant development from my perspective. Yeah um, and I don't know if it's just my perception or or not but yes certainly more female members and uh, especially at conferences have been great but I really felt at St Mary's that there was an awful lot of PhD and early career researchers there. And I just, to me, it just felt like there were more than, than before. And it really felt like there was a, a next generation coming through um, of people doing great research. And I think that that was really nice as well. I think capturing folks at that stage of their career is also going to be, it's going to be really important. Um, I just felt there was a bit of, a, it was an energy about the future at, uh, at St. Mary's that, whether it's just because of my role or not, I don't know, but I kind of felt that was that was really um, really good to see as well. Um, obviously, you know, things have remained the same, and obviously there are issues in kind of broader issues in sport that the society is likely to have to kind of grapple with. Do you see any particular kind of problems or issues that that will need to get? to grips with a little bit better in what hopefully will be like the next 40 years of the society? 
Well, you know, I, I would say actually the same as historically, really, is that kind of, you know, promoting a greater inclusivity, you know, across, or, you know, across, you know, different, different communities, you know, really. And but to me, you know, the, the issue is, you know, is, is that actually how how do you do that? Mm. How how do you actually do that? And and sort of like I go back to the kind of idea it's, it's not really it is about this it could be about the society but actually of course the society sits in a bigger system and when we're talking about higher education where where essentially I suppose that's one of the things that's happened to the society I I actually think it's become quite a bit more about academic sports history yeah and that's a change because previously it was a it was probably a bit more physical physical education oriented so that's that's a shift historically but just going back to that higher education thing um you know we know that there are there's discrimination and there's barriers within the system of higher education so if scholars you know if, if black scholars for example aren't getting through if women scholars aren't getting through you know if lgbtq plus scholars aren't aren't coming aren't feeling that they can access the system that bssh hooks into which is essentially the academy yeah that system has got to really open up and up and up to enable that flow through to a society like the bssh which i believe really it really does want to be open and really does want to welcome a range of people communities independent researchers you know um physical educationists if they want to come back into the society as well you know as well as academic sports historians but it's the external was it john barnes used to say the footballer john barnes used to say didn't he you know there's there's racism within the football stadium but actually the racism that you've got you've also got to address is beyond that as well yeah so it's the big picture that filters through to the to the little picture which is the society yeah and I think it's worth pointing out you're at least mentioning for those listening that you know we do have diversity reps on our board and if anyone does have any ideas or would like to kind of get in touch with either Lydia or Amanda about any of those things then their contact details are on the website just you know just drop them a line um yeah I mean you're right about it's become quite academic focus I suppose and perhaps we are losing those physical educationists I mean I you know I taught a level PE and BTEC sport for the best part of 16 years (laughs) and until I did my MA I had no idea that the SSH existed and that you know there are there are ways of opening up to all sorts of different different groups that and as you rightly say there's a whole whole host of groups that we could open up to a little bit a little bit more uh Fiona have you got any thoughts on kind of the issues we might need to grapple with I think one of the biggest issues that, that we talked about a lot was was kind of heritage and how we get involved in in that you know how we can make ourselves relevant to that community again it's mm-hmm. about diversifying our membership um, yeah. and that's another area where there's actually a potentially a huge pool of people that's work might fit very well with the agenda of the, of the BSSH and increasingly I think we are doing more in that sector um, and not just, you know, I think obviously academics are increasingly looking for ways to kind of get their work into the public domain. And so it is a kind of, hopefully, should be a symbiotic relationship that everybody benefits from. And so I think, again, that kind of broadening those networks and working with people who are sitting in, you know, archives and museums and, and, and so forth um, is another potential way of, of diversifying BSSH. So it's not just academics and it's not just, you know, the same 
the same people on repeat because we that's yeah. what we need, we need that diversification so we're not just in an echo chamber talking all saying the same stuff you know because that the discipline doesn't move forward if, if that's what we continue to do yeah and um there's probably gonna be bits and pieces in the forthcoming special issue for the 40th anniversary um a special issue of sport in history that will tackle some of these uh some of these topics as well um so i mean i guess to start thinking about wrapping up a little bit um I think we'll combine these two questions together, I suppose. What has being a member of BSSH meant to you? And kind of, are there any particular kind of favourite memories or funny stories, anything like that, that um, kind of stick out as, as part of your time um, as a member? I can see people smiling. There's clearly stories here. <laughs> Just trying to go over them and think, what ones are, what ones can I talk about on air? Um, yeah, I mean, being a member has meant a great deal to me. I've got a lot um, I've learned a lot from from members, and um, I have made very good and very meaningful friendships um, through BSSH, particularly with Carol. Um, you know, we've become great friends, and we otherwise we probably wouldn't have met. Um, and yet, we're, we're we're great buddies. In fact, Carol came up to visit a couple of weekends ago, so you know, we we've become firm friends through that. So I, I have BSSH to thank in large part for that friendship. Um, but. I have learned a lot. I have had opportunities have come my way through members um, in the society, and hopefully I have done the same by passing on opportunities to other members too. Um, lots and lots of happy memories. I guess the one that stands out is um, actually involves the three of us. We were at, I think it was Swansea, um, or was it Cardiff? It was. It was in Wales. It's, it's going to be Swansea and, then. <laughs> yeah, Swansea and. Um, we had the conference dinner and somebody, I kind of don't want to name names, but somebody suggested that as there was some wine left at the end of the dinner, it'd be a great idea to walk to the beach because the beach was um, very close by to the campus. So several of us, about a dozen of us, trooped, trooped down to the beach, but none of us had actually thought about the fact that it was dark and there was no lighting at the beach. <laughs> and there was a huge sand dune to be kind of climbed over to get to the beach. And so I, I have this very strong memory of standing with my phone the torch on pointing it up the sand dune is kind of dill and various people were helping each other up up the sand dune and we sort of mucked about on the beach for a while and then I think I called it a night at that point because I was speaking early the next morning sort of staggered back to campus yeah various, I remember walking back with you that's right and then various people kind of went off to try and find a club yeah, yeah I, that probably got quite messy I would imagine but yeah no just, just no can I excuse me can I just say no that failed we did walk off to find a club and I would say if there's one big disappointment about BSSH conferences is that we never quite we never quite make the club after <laughs> the dinner we never quite get the dancing in but yeah no we, we didn't actually find a club I think actually it was a it was just a bad decision to go on after the beach the beach thing was the pinnacle <laughs> of the of of the evening I think <laughs> there were certainly from my recollection the following morning there were certainly some folks who were looking a little worse for wear as they sheepishly came in slightly late to the kind of first panels and tried to sneak yeah. in the back <laughs> and um yeah I mean uh, that's definitely been one of my highlights because I think it was the, for the first time I realized gosh sports historians they um they drink <laughs> yeah. like, they enjoy a good time they enjoy a party <laughs> And I was like, this is this is news to me. So it was a it was a great, great introduction. <laughs> um, Carol, any other kind of you know, what's what's being a member meant to you and 
any uh... oh well it, it's the people isn't it it's it's it, it's really what Fiona is saying it's getting the opportunity to meet people that otherwise you would never really and sort of getting to know them a bit more really just over and above sort of like that kind of more formal exchange of disciplinary kind of discussion and conversation you do actually get to know people quite well and I think that does also come from being having the opportunity to be on the executive as well and, and of course the conference is a is quite as I've said before quite congenial quite open people are quite friendly so if you go to the go to the conference and I think if you go to the conference two or three times then you really begin to feel that you become part of the kind of yeah. Let's not call it a network. Let's call it a community. You know, you become yeah. you yeah. become part of that. So, you know, if you say to me, what are my favourite memories of, of my time as a member? I'll just say conference dinners. Yeah. I'll just say conference yeah. dinners, which have got a bit of pain. You know, sometimes they can be a bit painful, but actually, by and large, they're very pleasurable things, aren't they? The conference yeah. dinners. Yeah. yeah. Fiona, I, Fiona's, <laughs> Fiona's grinning very broadly there. <laughs> I'm just remembering back to the Richard Cox Prize. Yeah. So the year that I won the Richard Cox Prize, for some reason they decided to announce it during the dinner, but between courses. So rather than kind of having an announcement, you know, like like we now do usually over the wine or whatever before, um, Malcolm decided to announce it between courses. And of course I had nipped the loo thinking this is a good time. And I came back and the whole room was applauding and I was like, what this is the first time that's ever happened <laughs> and then it quickly became apparent what on earth had happened so yeah that that also is another happy if embarrassing memory <laughs> yeah and I, I know I know what you mean Carol about the kind of <clears throat> the social side of it the conference dinners the, the chatting with people you know you won't remember every paper that you go and see you know some will stick with you and whatever but it is those moments when you get to know people when you get to have a you know, a laugh and a joke with people um, and kind of build up those those friendships that probably wasn't expecting to kind of happen in the way it did. You know, I've, I've sat at conference dinners with, with both of you at various, uh, various events and, it, you know, it's, it's just lovely. And I think the other thing that, that kind of, I guess I would, I would say is that, like you say, when you go to a couple of conferences, you start to feel a part of the group. And what always surprised me about BSSH, and you know, Nash is no different, I suppose. There's no real airs and graces. It doesn't matter what level or what stage you are at your career. Everyone is accepted on the, the same kind of level, um, and that's that's what was always such a lovely thing um, about it. You know, that kind of it doesn't it doesn't matter where you are. Just everyone's just um, thrilled to hear what you're talking about and wants to get to know you and and everything else. And that's um, especially when you're going through a, a PhD process, especially if you're doing it through a pandemic and especially if you're doing it, you know, remotely a long way from your, yeah. uh, from your university, having that, that group, that kind of community, as you said, Carol, having that community around you. Um, it's just, you know, one of the, one of the best bits about, about being a member, I suppose. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, thank you both for, uh, for joining us. I think it's, it's been a great conversation to kind of reflect on, um, you know, how people get involved and what the organisation means to them, but also, you know, discussing those issues that, you know, we do need to face. We can't pretend that there aren't things we could be better mm. at. Um, yeah. So I think hopefully uh, everyone who's listened is uh, that you've also really enjoyed it. So, yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, it's been a great, great conversation. And what I say to all the folks listening is tune in again 
uh, soon for more discussions with members celebrating the 40th anniversary of the society. Um, all it remains to say is goodbye and hopefully um, see you all soon. Mm-hmm.